the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. There's no evidence of any fruit in this man's life. There's no evidence of a deep relationship with God, and he certainly has no witness. And that, again, is a familiar story to many of us, in the sense that we love God, we want to follow God, we, we have good intentions, but then we become so complacent and immune to the devastating evil around us in our world, we just kind of accept it. We may not participate in it, but we, but we tolerate it, and thus we have no fruit, we have no deep relationship with God, and we have no witness. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Genesis. We cannot always choose where we will live and build our life, but we can always choose how we will live and what we will build our life on. In today's study from the tragic story of Lot's life in Sodom and Gomorrah, Pastor Gary warns us of the changes that can take over our life if we begin to compromise with the culture around us. The changes in us at the beginning are small and subtle, but as time passes, they become more glaring and brazen. We can even become so dull to them, so hardened, that we barely notice how far we have fallen. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part one of today's message entitled, The Cost of Compromise. We're in Genesis 19. Would you mind turning there, please? Genesis 19. It is a little PG-13. It's a lot PG-13, actually. I had somebody after Saturday night service say, you ought to give it an R rating. Really? Is it? it is some very serious stuff here. In fact, I asked a couple of my pastors. Probably you're too immature to be here. And, uh, and so we're going to dive into this very important but um, somewhat controversial, delicate subject here in Genesis chapter 19. I'm going to read the first uh, several many verses of chapter 19, then we'll dive into our study. Verse 1, the two angels arrived in Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. When he saw them, he got up to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, please turn aside to your servant's house. You can wash your feet and spend the night and then go on your way early in the morning. No, they answered, we will spend the night in the square. But he insisted so strongly that they did go with him and entered his house. He prepared a meal for them, baking bread without yeast, and they ate. Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. 
Lot went outside to meet them and shut the door behind him and said, No, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Look, I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do what you like with them. But don't do anything to these men, for they have come under the protection of my roof. Get out of our way, they replied, and they said, This fellow came here as an alien, and now he wants to play the judge. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. But the men inside reached out and pulled Lot back into the house and shut the door. Then they struck the men who were at the door of the house, young and old, with blindness, so that they could not find the door. The two men said to Lot, Do you have anyone else here, sons-in-law, sons or daughters, or anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of here, because we are going to destroy this place. The outcry to the Lord against its people is so great that he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were pledged to marry his daughters. He said, Hurry and get out of this place, because the Lord is about to destroy this city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when this city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and of his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. Jump down to verse 23. By the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities in the entire plain, including all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Well, I will tell you that, in my opinion, Lot, who is the central character of this story, Lot is one of the most complicated people in all of the Bible. He's very complex. And the reason that I say he's a complicated guy is because I get a clear idea of who he is from the Genesis account. When you look at these chapters, what we see about Lot is that he is a man of terrible compromise. He is a man of great indecision. He is a man of spiritual weakness. That's clear in the Genesis account. And yet, you have to take the whole Bible into consideration. And Peter in the New Testament, in 2 Peter 2.7, refers to Lot as a righteous man. That's the word that he uses. A righteous man who was vexed, King James says. He was tormented, NIV says, in his soul over the lawless deeds of wicked men around him. You get two very different views here, and the same Holy Spirit inspired Moses to write Genesis, as inspired Peter to write his letter, Second Peter. But yet the Genesis account is difficult to reconcile with Peter's analysis of Lot, because Genesis portrays him again as this man of compromise, indecision, spiritual weakness, and yet Peter portrays him as a man who is a righteous man. Now, to me, honestly, the reason that he appears to be so complicated is because I wrestle, when I read this, I'm just being honest, I wrestle with what we read in the book of Genesis, how it is that Lot is seen, by Peter at least, as a righteous man, when in fact Genesis tells us he lives very comfortably in a very wicked city. How is it that he can be a righteous man when the text tells us here that he calls the homosexual mob that appears to, at his house, knocking on his door, quote, my friends. How is it, if Lot is such a righteous man, that he would do an unthinkable thing of offering his own daughters to this homosexual mob to gang-rape them? How is it, if he's a righteous man, 
that the end of this chapter tells us that he allows his daughters to get him drunk and then unbeknownst to him, both of them have sex with him and conceive children by him. So he's a very complicated guy. You say, all of that's in this chapter? All of that is in this chapter. It's nasty. <laughs> that's all I can tell you. And, and God gives it all to us. He says, here's what I, w- I want you to know about Sodom and Gomorrah. Here's what I want you to see about Lot's life. I want you to notice how messed up his family is. I want you to notice what happens here. There's perversion. There's incest, homosexuality. It's all here in this, in this chapter. It's a very, very, but you, you know, it's a very heavy chapter, but this is the deal. When we go through the Bible here at Cornerstone, we go from Genesis to Revelation. We're going to hit it all, and we come here to this 19th chapter. Now, in trying to reconcile, because again, the Holy Spirit portrays him in Genesis, portrays him in 2 Peter. In trying to reconcile all this, here's the best that we can do in trying to understand how is this guy as he is and yet seen as righteous. Here's the best guess. Perhaps Lot saw himself as a reformer who comes to Sodom to live in order to effect change. He wants to do something to bring about change in the city of Sodom. But before long, he becomes overwhelmed by the depravity and the sin of the culture such that he begins to accept it. Uh, Not in the sense that he participates in it, he's smarter than that, but in the sense that he tolerates it. And in tolerating it, in that sense, he becomes actually complicit in their sin because he's never doing anything in the text to affect change in this place in which he lives. So he grows kind of immune to it. He doesn't really realize all the detriment and the devastating impact that it's having on his own heart and the life of his family. Just kind of becomes resigned to all of this and immune to it. And then, though, God sees something valuable about this guy's life buried deep underneath all this compromise because he actually sends two angels to come and to forcibly take Lot and his family out of the city. It's an expression of his mercy before God destroys these twin cities. But even then, you'll notice that he goes reluctantly. He's hesitant. These angels have to grasp his hand, his wife's hand, the hands of his daughters, and forcibly take them out of the city of Sodom before God destroys it. So very hard to understand. But again, if we view him as perhaps good intentions, a man who wanted to bring reform, then it kind of paints a picture of many of us today. In the sense that here he is, called by Peter, a righteous man. So he loves God, he follows the God of Abraham. I think he means well, but he's just accepted and become immune to all of the devastation and sin around him so that he feels out of place living here, but yet at the same time he strangely feels comfortable living here. And as a result, there's no evidence of any fruit in this man's life. There's no evidence of a deep relationship with God, and he certainly has no witness. And that, again, is a familiar story to many of us, in the sense that well, we love God, we want to follow God, we, we have good intentions, but then we become so complacent and immune to the devastating evil around us in our world, we just kind of accept it. We may not participate in it, but we, but we tolerate it, and thus we have no fruit, we have no deep relationship with God, and we have no witness. That is a story that is told often, sadly, in our own culture, in many churches. Now, As it deals with Lot, we're first introduced to him at the end of chapter 11 of Genesis. 
we find out that he's a relative of Abraham's. In fact, he is a part of the original family group that will leave Ur of the Chaldeans, the ancient city of Ur, which is in modern Iraq. We talked about this when we were there. That God calls Abraham to leave his household, leave that place, go to the promised land, and on Abraham goes in this voyage, not knowing where he's going, trusting God, and he goes to the promised land. And Lot is among the immediate family members, the Bible tells us, who goes with Abraham. Now, Lot is Abraham's nephew. Lot is the son of Abraham's brother, Haran. The Bible tells us that Haran dies in Ur. Haran never makes this pilgrimage to the promised land. And so what appears to us in the text is that Lot then begins to see his uncle Abraham somewhat like a father figure. He follows Abraham. He goes to the promised land. The Bible tells us Lot becomes very wealthy, just like his uncle Abraham, because he's always in the shadow of Abraham. And every time Abraham is blessed, Lot gets blessed because he just kind of spills over. He's in the proximity of Abraham's blessing. And Lot accumulates a lot of livestock and herds, just like his uncle Abraham. It gets to the point in Genesis 13 where their herdsmen are fighting over the same area to graze their sheep. And so Abraham says to his nephew Lot, hey, You need to go ahead and separate from me and me from you. Let's do it amicably, but our flocks are competing for the same pasture land, so why don't you go your separate way? The Bible says in Genesis 13 that Lot looks towards the east to the valley of the Jordan, and he gazes upon Sodom and Gomorrah, and the Bible says in Genesis 13, 12, that he pitches his tents near Sodom. The next verse, however, Genesis 13, 13, says that the men of Sodom were wicked and sinning greatly against the Lord. Genesis 13, 13. God inserts that commentary because he wants us to see here that there is a slow progression of compromise in Lot's life. First, he looks toward Sodom. Then he pitches his tent near Sodom. And then when you get to chapter 14 of Genesis, it tells us that he's living in Sodom. Which then brings us to chapter 19, and notice again the opening verses of chapter 19. It says, verse 1, that the two angels arrived at Sodom in the evening. Now, these angels show up in human appearance, so they look like normal men. They come to Sodom in the evening, and notice this, verse 1 of chapter 19, Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. Now, notice this. This is important to understand. He looks toward Sodom. He lives near Sodom. He lives in Sodom. Now he's sitting in the gates of Sodom, which means this that Lot has now assumed a leadership position in the city of Sodom. He's now a civil leader. He's settled down. He's had a family. He's uh, started a living. And now he's a civic leader in the community. How do we know this? In every ancient city, the gate was not only an entryway for people to come and go into a city and well-guarded and protected, but it was also a place where three main things happened. Number one, business and merchandising. Little shops would be set up because this As people would travel and come into a city, they would first be able to to buy things in the market. It was a great place for merchandising. Second thing that would happen, the leaders of the city would strategize for war. They would gather there. They would talk about conflict and, and war strategies. And then the third thing is that at every city gate would be situated the elders of the city. In ancient Bible times, if you had a dispute with another person, you would bring the matter to the elders sitting at the city gate, and they would settle it. They would be judges, and then they would administrate justice for the whole city. When we find here in Genesis 19.1 that Lot is sitting in the gate of Sodom, it tells us he's now an elder. 
tells us he's moved up to being a civic leader in the town of Sodom. And here's this progression of compromise. God makes it clear, Genesis 13, 13, that the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. And yet he looks toward Sodom, lives near Sodom, lives in Sodom, and now he's a leader within the city itself. He's an elder. This is important for us to understand. There's this progression of compromise in Lot's life, and it's going to lead to some significant problems in his life we're going to learn from. But I want you to notice now that God sends a couple of angels to the city of Sodom to observe firsthand just how wicked and sinful they are. And here's the reason. Back in chapter 18, which we didn't read, God has determined he's going to destroy the twin cities of Sodom and Gomorrah because of their wickedness and their evil. And God has this conversation with Abraham. God tells in advance to Abraham what he's going to do. And Abraham engages God in this conversation. He says to the Lord, well, Lord, what if there were 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom? Would you still destroy Sodom? And the Lord replies, and he says, no, for the sake of 50 righteous, I would not destroy the city. And Abraham says, well, what about 45? If there were 45 righteous, God says, no, if there were 45, I wouldn't destroy the city. And then Abram engages the Lord in kind of this backwards auction. You know, he says, well, how about 50? Do I hear 45? How about 40? How about 30? How about 20? Do I hear 10? And, and Abraham gets God all the way down to 10. He says, how about if there were 10 people who were righteous in Sodom? Would you destroy the city? God says, for the sake of 10, I would not, which tells us that there were not even 10 righteous people in all of the city of Sodom. And so these angels are sent by the Lord to view firsthand because God is very careful. He's methodical. He is just. He's not rash. He doesn't make judgments in haste. He's going to observe this carefully. He wants to make sure that what he's about to do is a matter of his justice. And he sends these two angels to observe the condition. And here they come, the Bible says, into the town of Sodom, looking just like men, looking just like people. Now, this is not just an Old Testament phenomenon. This is also something the New Testament tells us in the book of Hebrews. It tells us in chapter 13 that sometimes we entertain angels unaware, that there are, in fact, people circulating the world right now that look just like regular people, but they are, in fact, angels. They've taken on human form. Turn to the one next to you. They could be. (laughs) Wait a minute. You know them too well. You know they're not. (laughs) But it can and does happen. These two guys come waltzing into Sodom. They're sent by God on a recon mission. They're going to observe what's going on here, and they're going to make careful observation of just how wicked this place is before God pulls the trigger. And they come into the town square. Lot sees them. Hey, how are you doing? Hey, great. Hey, we're just going to sleep here in the town square. And Lot says, "Uh, you don't want to sleep here. And the two angels go, yeah, well, we're just going to sleep here. It's fine. We're going to be fine. He goes, "Uh, no, you know, this is DuPont Circle. Don't sleep here. Uh, you guys, you guys need to come to my house. And so Lot urges them, strongly urges them. You see in the text, Lot knows. He knows. He says, this is not a good place for you to live. Come and live and stay in my house for the night. I'll feed you. And that's what he does. Gives them a meal and, um, and he's going to give them lodging. Well, while they're there getting a meal, notice in verse 4 what happens. In verse 4 it says, Before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, Surrounded the house. They called to Lot, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. I want you to notice a few key words in that verse, verse 4. Circle the word all, circle the word every. All the men from every part of the city. It's not a few, it's not one or two were knocked on the door. This was all the men, every part of the city. 
This is a homosexual mob that comes to the house of Lot, banging on the door. They're very explicit here. We want to have sex with those guys. They don't know that they're angels. We want to have sex with those guys that are in your house. I want you to also notice the words young and old. Circle those words. Both young and old surrounded the house. I want you to picture this. I want you to get the idea of just how wicked this place is. The word young there is a word that can be translated to mean boy. I want you to picture here not just dads and uncles and grandpas. I want you to picture seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds, nine-year-old boys that have been brought to some kind of a homosexual orgy to observe or to participate in. This is just unthinkable. We're bringing young guys here. We're bringing little boys to observe this. Yeah, yeah. Because we're going to teach them this is what we do here. They're very outspoken. They're very militant. They try to beat the door down. That's how much they are just crazed to do this despicable thing here. And the prophet Isaiah tells us when he refers back to Sodom in Isaiah 3.9, Isaiah says that the people of Sodom, here's the word he uses, paraded their sin. They didn't think anything about it. They were very vocal outspoken, in your face, that's what we're about. Listen, not much has changed. This whole issue in our own culture, very militant, very in your face, parading it, very outspoken about it. It's no different. This is what was happening in the days of Sodom. And I will tell you, just to give you the other side so you understand the other argument out there, the liberal theologians, liberal theologians will tell you that what God was upset about here was not the sin of homosexuality. Liberal theologians will say homosexuality is not a sin. The issue was, this is how they will spin Genesis 19. They will say the real issue, the reason what God was upset about is that the people of Sodom were inhospitable to these two guests. That's what they will tell you. Not making it up. That's what they would tell you. You can read different liberal commentaries that say, well, the real issue here was that God was upset that they were inhospitable to the two guests. Okay, now wait. Let me, figure, let me get this straight. So God's so much into hospitality. Yeah, yeah, I get that. But don't you think this is a real devastating consequence? I mean, kind of over the top for being inhospitable. Let's see if we can understand this. So because people didn't open their homes for lodging and lasagna, God is going to rain down road tar and fry a whole people? Is that what we're supposed to believe? The issue here is inhospitality? No, that's not the issue. Jude in the New Testament, verse 7, says, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. So the Bible says. Now, listen, we need to realize that as our country moves toward legalizing same-sex marriages, and as many denominations start to move towards ordaining homosexuals, you just need to hear it. It doesn't matter. It will never, ever, has been, or shall be acceptable to God. Never. The Bible, God calls specifically homosexuality in Genesis 18, a grievous sin. In Genesis 19, wicked. In Leviticus 18 and Ezekiel 16, detestable. King James says an abomination. In Jude 7, immoral or perverted. In Romans 1, unnatural and indecent. That's what the Bible calls it. That's what God calls it. 
Now, in saying all of this and rattling all those adjectives off that the Bible describes, I don't want anybody here who's here or listening or watching to feel like that the whole subject of homosexuality, if you perhaps struggle with that or you've been in that lifestyle, that's a part of your life, for you to feel disgraced. Any more than I would want when we get to the story of David and Bathsheba and we talk about the subject of adultery for anybody who's committed adultery to feel disgraced. We hope that today's edition of Cornerstone Connection has been a blessing to you. The messages that you hear daily on Cornerstone Connection are produced from worship services at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you live in the Northern Virginia area, we encourage you to join us in person for worship. And if you're out of our local area, you can always watch our services streamed live online. We have both midweek and weekend worship services. To learn more about our service times and our other ministries, log on to cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's cornerstoneconnection.cc. Now, we also want to be sure to tell you how to get a free downloadable copy of today's teaching. Simply log on to our website, where you'll find the complete library of Pastor Gary's messages available for download. Again, that free download is available at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Another great way to stay current with Cornerstone Chapel is to download the free Cornerstone Chapel mobile app for your iPhone, iPad, or Android device. Visit cornerstoneconnection.cc for more information. We wish we could share the rest of this teaching from the book of Genesis, but we've run out of time for today. Next time, Pastor Gary will continue through this insightful study right here on Cornerstone Connection. Hey, you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.